Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Islam, we often say, has solutions to every problem. However, when we say this, we are forced to accept that in some areas Muslims in reality have little to offer the current predicaments of human society. I don't mean by this that Islam, a religion and way of life revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, doesn't have these solutions. Of course it does, but rather in actuality, Muslims have sometimes failed to find these solutions and argue its case in society. When it comes to economics, this is very much the case. After the end of the Cold War, the triumph of free market liberal economics has rendered discussions about alternatives a fringe debate of defeated socialists and Marxists that can now only provide a series of tweaks to capitalism, at best minimising the pain felt by large numbers of people. This capitalist orthodoxy has come into question for two reasons. Firstly, the global economic recession that began in 2007 rocked financial markets and contributed to a worldwide economic slowdown not seen since the 1930s. And secondly, because of the rise of the East and especially China and the challenge it poses to free market and open economics. In this context, it is important that Muslims can find a counter-narrative to the prevailing economic system. What can the timeless revelation of our Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, offer the world and how does Islam view economic order? To help answer these questions, I've asked an expert in Islamic and comparative economics to shed some light on the thinking process that undergirds the Islamic economic system 
as well as to elucidate some of the specific solutions Islam has to offer. Over many sessions, I have invited Dr. Abul Iz Abdus Salam to help us untangle Islamic economics and what it has to offer the contemporary world. Dr. Abdus Salam is a lecturer at Birzeit University, Palestine. He joins us this week from his home in Al Quds, Jerusalem. This week, we take a look at poverty and inequality and how capitalist societies fail to recognize this problem as well as how zakat, a form of wealth tax, can help to eradicate extreme wealth disparities and poverty. Dr. Abdul Salam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to the Thinking Muslim podcast. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Now, Dr. Abdul Salam, give me some context to the Islamic economic system. How do we frame it in relation to capitalism on the right and socialism on the left? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, first of all, Jazakallah Khairan for um, uh, hosting me, for, for starting this um, podcast. And uh, inshallah, it will be uh, successful and uh, uh, beneficial to everyone. Uh, l- l- let me, let me um, address this uh, point of uh, what do we seek as a target and what we do not seek. Do we seek absolute equality? Uh, are we talking about socialism? No, the answer is uh, we 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 do not um, seek absolute equality, and we do not advocate socialism. Um, this podcast is called the Thinking Muslim for a reason. Uh, not just a thinking man who happens to be a Muslim but I suppose uh, a Muslim who thinks based on Islam. So the Islamic solution, the Islamic model, the Islamic society uh, is not one where everybody is equal. The differences among people are acknowledged uh, even in the Quran. Uh, Different people have different qualities, different attributes and different abilities. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, even mentioned how people are made to work for other people. Um, and that's how society benefits, by having the, the workload distributed among people where different people have different roles um, in society. Do we, uh, do we um, seek to um, uh, put a cap on wealth? Uh, do we seek to uh, limit uh, how much a person uh, can acquire? Uh, and the answer is no. Uh, we do not know of such limit in Islam uh, as long as the person uh, earned it in a halal way, um, in a permissible way. Uh, we know of very wealthy Sahaba. We know how Uthman ibn Affan was very wealthy, Abdurrahman ibn Awf. Uh, uh, Abdurrahman ibn Awf was uh, um, capable of uh, bringing um, a whole caravan of food uh, to Medina and uh, just giving it away uh, to, to uh, those in need. Uthman Ba'afan was capable of buying a whole uh, limitless well of water 
and uh, granting access to everybody in Medina. Uh, Uthman Ma'afan was able to uh, supply half an army uh, in Ghazwat Tabuk. There is no question of uh, what is the limit of wealth or uh, putting a, a cap on wealth, um, on individual wealth. Uh, in Islam. So, so tell me, what does the Islamic economic system hope to achieve then? The question is always how wealth is acquired and how it is dispensed of. Um, what are the ways that are permissible uh, for a person to acquire wealth, to grow wealth, and to dispense of wealth? And uh, what is the responsibility of the uh, society, the government, um, and, uh, and certainly families and individuals towards one another, um, and how the basic necessities are guaranteed, whether they are guaranteed by the family uh, obligations or whether they're guaranteed by the state, the government. That, that is what we seek to achieve, um, uh, not absolute equality and not um, uh, putting caps on wealth. Th there's a great deal of distribution ability uh, that can be employed uh, by the society, by regulations on economic activity, by... Um, <laughs> Uh, equitable access to public resources and natural resources um, uh, by uh, taxation and redistribution uh, through uh, taxation. Now, when we consider the world today, it's fair to say that it's governed by an economic system, which we can call a capitalist economic system. And uh, that is the prevailing thought that many uh, have to accept uh, many Muslim countries, of course, accept the principles of capitalism and free market economics. Now, of course, uh, this economic system uh, has come with its problems, uh, in particular poverty and inequality. Uh, but at the same time, it has managed to create vast amounts of wealth and has managed to um, take large numbers of people, namely in India and China, out of poverty. Uh, in that context, um, what is it that the Islamic economic system can help to achieve? Um, we know that socialism, when it tried to establish uh, an economic order, it really failed to distribute wealth to enough people. Uh, in large parts of the Soviet Union, we had famines uh, that affected millions of people, in particular in Ukraine. Um, so uh, I suppose the fear is that without capitalism, another economic system is going to fail to fundamentally at least achieve some aspect of wealth distribution to, albeit a small number of people, but at least to some people. I have a goal uh, that through uh, these uh, discussions um, today and in the coming episodes of showing how um, um, the current system that is in implementation, which is mostly uh, from the um, uh, liberal market view of uh, eco capitalist economy, uh, the current system 
uh, has the fruits that we see today, um, uh, which is the the um, cruel, um, cold um, reality uh, for the uh, masses of poor people, and even for uh, the middle class, uh, which bear a, a disproportionate uh, a portion of the taxation, um, and uh, hardly uh, get by uh, without you know uh, loans and, and obligations for years to come also i seek to show that um, the uh, social democratic uh, uh, propositions of policies uh, do not uh, nearly come close to um, uh, alleviating those problems um, they do not solve those problems in in any meaningful way they just um you know alleviate the pain temporarily um and um uh, furthermore uh, the the charitable organizations um no matter how big they are uh, only contribute uh, in a in very little um, uh, um insignificant ways to um, you know, reducing the pain temporarily as well. So um, what what I, what I will try to show is that Islamic policies go at the heart of the problem and seek to be effective. But when we talk about effectiveness, uh, capitalism, uh, especially since uh, the 1990s, has created enormous amounts of wealth. And uh, this wealth today uh, makes has made a number of countries, in particular China, India, but of course across Europe and Eastern Europe, as well as of course in America, extremely rich. And uh, a larger set of people in these countries have access to wealth maybe more than ever before. Uh, and that is the uh, claim, I suppose, of of capitalism. So the uh, the classic argument in um, capitalism, in capitalist thought, is that increasing production will take care of the poor. Um, by increasing wealth, uh, it will. Um, um, in the in modern times, they use the term trickle down. Uh, the wealth will trickle down uh, to the uh, well, the masses, to the lower classes. Um, that has been the um, argument that the price mechanism will take care of distribution, uh, meaning that we do not have to take any extra uh, measures to distribute wealth or to compensate uh, the unfortunate. Uh, for their lack of wealth, even uh, so, this this opinion has been held, and is still being held by um, most capitalist thinkers. So, uh, in two thousand and three, let me quote um, Robert Lucas, who won the Nobel Prize, and um, this is what what he said. He said, of the tendencies that are harmful to sound economics, the most seductive, and in my opinion, the most poisonous, is to focus on questions of distribution. 
And then he goes on to say, the potential for improving the lives of poor people by finding different ways of distributing current production is nothing compared to the apparently limitless potential of increasing production. This is, this is the view. Keep on increasing production and the poor uh, will uh, improve their lives uh, because wealth somehow trickles down. Uh, let us examine whether that has worked. And that uh, certainly has been the, um, the, wor the working thesis, the working hypothesis of, uh, of the, um, um, the West, their governments, and certainly the IMF and the World Bank. To examine the results of that, um, I would like to quote from the Oxfam reports. One, one of the uh, important metrics that they talk about, um, how many billionaire individuals um, own collectively what the lower half of the population of the earth owns. So um, the, the amount of wealth owned by half the population of the earth uh, against how many top uh, uh, owners, top earners uh, on earth. So that number was in 2016, 61 individuals, super wealthy individuals, owned the same amount collectively as the lower half of the population of the earth. That's like 4 billion poor people. That number in 2017 was 42 individuals and then in 2018 the number went down to 26 individuals Th that um, rate of acceleration of accumulating wealth at the super billionaire uh, level I want you to unpick this discussion uh, point you've raised about wealth distribution versus production. Uh, what do you mean by, by that? The, the uh, researchers who uh, look at data regarding um, wealth distribution, regarding the, the wealth gap, uh, especially in Western societies, uh, um, there was... Uh, uh, an important inflection point uh, of um, <clears throat> increasing wealth gap uh, during the 1980s uh, when um, economic liberalism took hold in Western um, uh, governments. Um, so the end of the uh, Second World War uh, was a point uh, where the um, uh, wealth was more evenly distributed where the um, uh, important metrics about wealth distribution um, showed uh, some sort of stability and where the middle class uh, was um, uh, thriving. Uh, but, uh, but in the 80s and certainly in the 90s and up to this point, uh, the wealth gap has been widening and poverty has been increasing. So the um, the fruits of production, the fruits of um, uh, economic boom, 
the fruits of technology and certainly the fruits of globalization have not been working for the masses, have not been working for the poor. Uh, they have been mostly working for the upper classes, the 1% and even less percentage than, than that. The question of, of um, uh, production uh, is a question that um, is not difficult to answer. The question of production um, is, will, will humans work, basically? Will humans try to create wealth? And that's not uh, a difficult question to answer. And um, uh, people will be motivated uh, always to work, to produce, and uh, uh, to increase wealth and to advance the, the way of life, uh, advance the shapes and forms and the tools and devices and uh, make life comfortable. Okay, so uh, it is in the, in the innate nature of humans to be uh, productive. The question of distribution is a lot more tricky question. It is the question whether the human will be benevolent, whether uh, the human will care about uh, uh, the weak and the needy, whether the <clears throat> um, uh, basic necessities of everybody will be met and satisfied um, um, in a manner that will keep their human dignity. Um, the question of whether the fruits of production will be um, uh, beneficial to uh, everybody who seeks to, uh, um, to acquire those fruits. So your argument is that wealth inequality and disparity uh, on the level that has been created in capitalist societies uh, has been harmful. Of course, uh, Islam accepts some level of wealth inequality. Uh, people's circumstances differ, their efforts differ, and of course, uh, rizq is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has endowed some people with more sustenance, with more rizq than other people. But in the case of capitalism, uh, there are vast disparities of wealth, I suppose, between rich and poor. Um, but why does that matter? Why, why does it matter that in a society which is producing enormous amounts of wealth, that wealth has been concentrated at a very top level? Consider this, um, and uh, I, I will quote um, Anthony Atkinson, uh, the author of Inequality, What Can Be Done, and um, a, a prominent scholar on the matter. He's actually the... Uh, teacher or mentor of Thomas Piketty, uh, who also is an excellent researcher on the matter. Consider a society in which there are individuals who can afford space tourism, who are so wealthy that they can, you know, reserve their place at the next flight that is visiting outer space. While at the same time, there are people who cannot afford food and shelter. So, uh, which would be a more cohesive society? One where uh, there are in few individuals who can afford space tourism, while um, many cannot even afford adequate food and shelter. 
uh, or would would it better be if nobody afforded space tourism while um, everybody afforded um, adequate food and shelter? Here's the um, um, the, the problem with the logic um, with um, um, liberal capitalism. What they try to say is that they offer um, equality of opportunity, um, is that they afford everybody the same opportunity to, um, to earn, to work, and uh, to become successful and to become wealthy. What happens after that, they argue, depends on the efforts of the individual and the, you know, um, uh, intellect and how smart they are and, uh, and so forth. So they uh, um, emphasize this um, notion of equality of opportunity. What about the individuals who um, are not able to achieve those, um, uh, I'm not going to say great wealthers, just adequate wealthers? What about the individuals who, despite their best efforts, uh, are not able to, to afford adequate food and, food and shelter and um, uh, health care and education? There is never, there is never a quality of opportunity because we inherit what um, inequalities exist in the previous generation. So those who grow up in a wealthy household do not have the same opportunity as those who grow up in the ghettos. Certainly they do not go to the same quality of schools, they do not get the same quality of nutrition and, and so forth. Uh, the whole the whole deal is different for them. If we focus on equality of opportunity as a motto, uh, it it just remains a motto and is never practical. Now, when discussing wealth inequalities, are you not in danger of referring to a type of capitalism that may have been present in the post Cold War world? You know, a Reaganite, Thatcherite capitalism. But since uh, that era, we now have social democratic policies. Uh, you can see that in the UK, in Sweden, in Denmark, and of course uh, in the United States to an extent, where social democratic parties have tried to temper the uh, markets by establishing policy frameworks that help to alleviate some of the stark differences that may exist in Western societies. Uh, how do you frame Islam in relation to uh, this social democratic modern form of capitalism uh, that it uses the state and uses the lever of the state uh, to establish some form of social justice? So uh, again, uh, we're trying to seek uh, solutions from Islam the 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 advantage of seeking solutions from islam um is that they go into implementation uh because of our adherence to islam first and foremost and not because of their material benefit um so the policies that you mentioned the social democratic policies 
and what is called the social justice uh, uh, approach, they go into implementation uh, with periodic uh, um, tide and turn uh, according to um, uh, calculations made by economists and statisticians. They, they go into effect in some societies, but not others, because of different political interests. So um, the implementation of Islamic policies comes from the uh, belief that this is what uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered, and that this is the, uh, the best uh, uh, policy for us uh, because uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what is best for us. While at the same time, uh, th they instill uh, uh, the feeling of justice uh, within society. Uh, there's never in Islam a, a call for uh, accepting uh, one's situation as a poor person you know, in return for having a paradise in the hereafter uh, that you need to uh, accept um, uh, poverty in this life and not seek to change it. Um, that might be the case in other religions, but in Islam, you are instructed to go forth and uh, uh, go in the uh, w walks of life um, uh, and seek uh, your sustenance. Uh, seek what Allah has uh, laid out for you uh, out there. We will talk in detail in 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 next um, uh, episode uh, about about um, those policies in Islam and how they are different from the um, policies currently in, um, um, in implementation uh, in Western countries, whether, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Finland, Sweden, Norway, and certainly the UK and the US. And uh, those differences um, are fundamental. They're not superficial. For example, uh, the question of taxing income or taxing uh, wealth? That's an important question. The question of natural resources and who they belong to, and can we actually give privileges uh, over those natural resources to individuals and corporations? And this extends to um, uh, public resources such as water, electricity, and communications. Dr. Abdus Salam, whose responsibility is it to alleviate poverty? Is it our duty as individuals and, and our communities? Or is it the duty of governments to deal with poverty? The view of Islam about the state <coughs> is uh, more towards a greater responsibility of the state because Islam has put more and more um, uh, obligations on the side of collective obligations. And whenever there's a collective obligation in which the community is uh, tasked uh, with something, it means that the state, which is the um, legal representative of the community, uh, 
uh, it would be tasked with uh, that obligation. Uh, so um, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he said that um, for the inhabitants of a town, if they spend a night and among them even one person that is hungry, then uh, Allah subhanahu wa taala would have nothing to do with them. They would be uh, cast away from the mercy of Allah. I'm paraphrasing. So, um, so that that um, obligation, which uh, is to feed the hungry and to actually go around looking for the hungry, such that the night is not spent while there is one uh, hungry person uh, going uh, to sleep while hungry. Uh, that obligation cannot be, you know, um, uh, carried out by individuals. Uh, there has to be uh, a state, the state, that uh, employs those who actually uh, um, carry out the obligation and cover the uh, basic need of food, uh, shelter, um, healthcare, education, and so forth, uh, security. So the obligations of the state, uh, the collective obligations of the community necessitate the existence of the state that uh, uh, carries out those obligations on behalf of the community. So at the very beginning, you talked about uh, how Islam spends its effort to establish a system of distribution, which in effect alleviate uh, poverty or extreme poverty and attempts to discipline society in a way by which extreme levels of inequality do not persist. Can you please elaborate then? What are the rules of Islam that uh, help to achieve this? Yes, so um, I will focus in this episode on uh, zakah, which is actually not a tax per se, but it is a financial obligation. You could uh, also speak of um, um, other forms of uh, taxation in Islam, such as land taxation, kharaj and ushur, uh, taxation on uh, goods, customs, uh, which, which is a form of taxation that existed in, in, in Islam, uh, but not many others. And um, uh, certainly the forms of taxation uh, uh, that exist in modern economy, um, income tax, um, sales tax, property tax, uh, those are not existent in Islam. Th this is a, um, a great um, uh, contrast point uh, between the financial obligations, let's say in general in Islam, um, against the uh, existing uh, modern system. So uh, what, what zakah is, it's an obligation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, prescribed in the, in the um, um, property or wealth um, uh, possessed by the wealthy. Um, and it goes towards certain, certain uh, uh, parties that receive the proceeds of the zakah, uh, mostly the poor and the needy. What uh, is the, the zakah? And how is it different from, from modern taxations? Zakah is 
uh, uh, calculated uh, using two, uh, th there are two important determinants of zakah, one called the nisab or the threshold. Uh, the other is the hawl or the uh, one year period. So the threshold um, is calculated from the um, wealth that is uh, owned by uh, the person. The, the, the nisab uh, is uh, calculated with two uh, different methods. One uh, using the uh, gold uh, standard, the other one using the silver standard. So uh, the nisab, uh, when calculated uh, using uh, the, the golden amount of uh, 85 grams of gold, is about 3,000 sterling pounds. Um, when calculated with uh, a silver method, it comes down to like 200 pounds. Now, um, whether it's this uh, or that, which is um, um, actually a, a fiqhi um, a matter of opinion, uh, so there's a difference, and we will not go into uh, fiqhi differences uh, uh, in this discussion, but here comes the uh, Hawl criteria, which is the uh, year. Uh, one full year has to pass from the um, accumulation, from the first instance of accumulation of the Nisab. So uh, suppose you're going by the um, uh, uh, golden uh, standard and you receive a monthly salary of 3,000 pounds. Do you uh, start paying zakah once you get your monthly salary? The answer is no. The zakah is calculated if that amount of money stays with you and is in excess of your uh, expenses and needs. Um, and it stays around and maybe grows for one full year. So at the end of the year, you look and um, calculate what is the excess amount that you have um, after you subtract uh, any debt that you might um, uh, owe. And that's the amount for which you pay the zakah. And the zakah amount is, as you know, 2.5% of the, um, the uh, wealth amount. So um, very important characteristics. Zakah is calculated from capital that exists with you, not income that comes your way. Uh, zakah is not calculated like income tax uh, uh, once a pound goes into your pocket. Um, um, it is part of the calculation for income tax. Zakah is not calculated on money exchanging hands because of um, sales and, and um, like the sales taxes. Uh, zakah certainly does not apply to um, uh, properties that you are using yourself, such as your house or car or um, um, such properties that are in use. Um, zakah is 
taken from capital that stays with you for a year. So if we, within that year, your, um, um, your savings dip below the uh, nisab and uh, your savings go down to, um, I don't know, 100 pounds or zero, or you go into debt, then it's reset for you. You don't have to pay the, uh, the zakah. So in summary, zakah is, uh, is taken from the possessions of the wealthy and never from um, a middle class or uh, someone trying to go by, uh, to get by, someone trying to um, uh, pay for their expenses month by month and um, uh, waiting for the end of the month to get their, their salary and so forth. Now, you have cited zakah as a form of poverty alleviation. And of course, most Muslims understand it as such. When we give our zakah, uh, we give it to a poor person to deal with poverty. But it seems to me that you're seeing zakah in a more broader context. It is a way to deal with societal wealth inequalities and uh, extreme poverty that may persist uh, in that society. Uh, but isn't zakat a personal matter? On this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah At-Tawbah, Ayah 103, Take charity from their possessions to cleanse them and purify them. So it is an, an order, a direct order to Rasulullah sallallahu um, in his capacity as the ruler uh, to take from the possessions of the believers this charity. So this d- does not talk about uh, voluntary charities uh, it talks about the obligatory charity, which is zakah. So this has been the practice uh, throughout Islamic history. The state um, uh, employs those who collect the zakah and distribute it. Um, it is not a question of uh, going around asking the wealthy, have you paid your zakah to the poor? No, it is a question of give us your zakah and we'll distribute it to the poor. Abu Bakr uh, Siddiq did not um, ask the uh, tribes, have you paid uh, your zakah? Once they stopped paying the zakah to the representative uh, of Abu Bakr, uh, Abu Bakr knew that those tribes were rebelling against him and he uh, sent out the expeditions to um, bring those tribes back in line. They had to collect the zakah and pay it to the state. The state distributes it to the poor. On the question of um, what uh, actual um, uh, amount will the zakah um, uh, cover, let me give you this estimate from the Oxfam reports again, uh, from the most recent one, that says um, only four cents in every dollar of tax revenue 
comes from taxes on wealth. So uh, 96% of collected taxes come from income tax, sales taxes, uh, property taxes. Uh, well, uh, property taxes are consi considered part of wealth taxes, and that's part of the problem. You know, in Islam, there is no property tax. Uh, if someone uh, um, uh, is relatively poor, but they own their house, they still have to pay property tax on the house, which may, be, which may have a great value, but the tax obligation paid yearly on it becomes a huge burden. Um, uh, and uh, it cannot be uh, generated from the house itself because the owner is occupying the house. So uh, it is tax on stationary property that does not generate a revenue, which is really a part of the problem. So even this uh, um, four cents on, on a tax do uh, dollar, 4% of taxes collected, it includes property taxes which may come from the poor and the middle class. Imagine that. So what about the millions and billions of dollars in cash that are sitting there um, in possession uh, by a super wealthy in bank accounts, not doing much economic activity, but uh, you know, staying there and not being taxed? So in summary, zakah is a wealth tax that takes 2.5% of latent wealth, so wealth that's not been utilised by a person, and redistributes that wealth to the categories mentioned in the Qur'an. Now, do we see any form of wealth taxes existent in the West? The following states have recently abolished uh, a wealth tax. Austria, Denmark, Germany, Sweden, Finland, Iceland, Luxembourg. United States does not have a wealth tax, but has some property taxes, uh, inheritance taxes, estate taxes, which some are fighting to abolish as well, calling it, you know, the death tax. For those states that actually do collect wealth taxes, let's take France as an example. So France starts collecting um, wealth taxes when the assets go over the threshold of 800,000 euros. So the, the quote-unquote nisab of wealth tax in France is 800,000 euros. And, and I just mentioned in Islam, it's like 3,000 pounds. You, and, and when you get to that threshold, you start paying a tax of 0.5%. How's that for a, um, a, a small amount of uh, um, wealth tax? 0.5%. And when you get to um, 10 million euros, that's when you get to a, a tax um, rate of 1.5%. Only 1.5% once you possess, you know, 10 million euros and above. The, tax, the, the zakah rate in Islam, 2.5% once you get, you know, 3,000 pounds and above. 
uh, imagine the difference. Also, in France, that uh, amount of, of tax is capped because they do not allow a total taxes collected in a year that exceed 75% of income. So income does come into play again. Uh, suppose a super billionaire owns, let's take that number, 10 million euros, okay? But in that year, uh, uh, does not have income. Maybe they uh, lost on their investments and they do not have income. It means no taxes are collected from them, not on wealth, not on income, not on anything. Because uh, a tax is not allowed to exceed 75% of income. Now, I'm not an expert on French law, so uh, someone can easily refute what I'm saying, but I'm just uh, um, uh, using that as a benchmark for comparison. So uh, in um, uh, another example is uh, uh, Spain, and uh, uh, the tax rates can go from 0.2% uh, up to 3.5% on wealth. But there aren't many places where uh, wealth, uh, um, in terms of actual financial assets sitting in huge bank accounts, that are actually taxed. Um, most taxes are collected from income, um, which does not take into account uh, what you own uh, um, uh, in uh, actual financial capability. So that's that's a huge difference with with the Islamic principles. Dr. Abdul Salam, here in Britain, there is Dr. Abdul Salam, here in Britain, there is a uh, regular discussion about uh, raising taxation. Now you're calling for raising wealth taxes, and I suppose the discussion, the counter argument would be that would disincentivize people from working and from generating wealth, and so it will lead to stagnating the economy. But also, uh, there is a case that uh, the wealthy will hide away their taxes in offshore bank accounts. And as a result, the government would have less in the treasury to deal with poverty alleviation and public services. Very true. Barakallah Feek. So, um, on the first point, um, the first argument, uh, it is argued as you uh, well articulated, that um, the accumulation of wealth is a catalyst for economic activity, and uh, you don't want to curb that. Now, the answer is that humans have in their instinct the uh, propulsion to go and acquire wealth. Okay, and there's no... Um, um nothing will stop them uh nothing will will uh, uh, curb uh the human uh, uh thirst for acquiring wealth and there's there's nothing even shameful about that not in islam the the question of um does the accumulation of wealth actually uh, a result in economic activity 
uh, does the uh, relief of uh, taxes over the uh, super wealthy uh, um, catalyze economic activity? Does the trickle down really work? Uh, in a famous experiment in um, the state of Kansas in the US, they uh, implemented this theory of uh, removing the taxes from the wealthy and waiting for the trickle down to happen. And uh, what, what resulted, this was a few years back, what resulted was that the state went bankrupt and um, um, went into a, a de depression um, uh, for, for the economic activity. Accumulating wealth in itself does not uh, um, uh, necessarily result in economic activity. Uh, the question is, once the wealthy have their wealth, what proportion of it do they invest in productive activities, such as you know, building factories, uh, investing in productive companies, um, uh, um, farms, uh, uh, you know, developing real estate, uh, the actual uh, uh, economy. Uh, and what proportion of that wealth goes towards financial economy or parasitic economy, which is, by the way, the subject for the next episode. Uh, sheltering the money away in the actual banks, not in Panama. Sheltering the money away in the banks, in the uh, um, financial system that is on the books. Does that really contribute to the actual economy, which um, results in improving the lives of, of uh, uh, actual uh, citizens and uh, uh, creating jobs for them and uh, inducing economic activity? Or does it actually uh, result in uh, something like the economic uh, uh, crisis of 2008 and other similar crises? Um, so financial economies and industries are a great proportion of um, um, the monetary possessions of the super wealthy. Just think about the hedge funds uh, administered by George Soros and others uh, like him, uh, which, uh, you know, accumulate money from the super wealthy and they do not go into productive investments. They go into manipulating currencies, bankrupting actual uh, countries, uh, um, crashing actual stock markets, and so forth uh, for the quick uh, uh, buck or quid that they get from um, uh, those kinds of trades. Money accumulated by the wealthy does not actually necessarily result in uh, economic activity that is beneficial to the masses, beneficial to the citizens. And what about uh, the many examples of wealthy people hiding their wealth away in these offshore bank accounts like the British Virgin Islands? Um, you know, <laughs> sometimes you might, you know, sympathize uh, with people who try to uh, cheat on their tax forms. 
Okay, that's just me. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the way uh, taxes are, are um, uh, imposed on, on middle class and um, uh, working families trying to get by uh, where a uh, thousand pounds uh, less taxes can make the whole difference at a certain point in the year. So if people try to shelter some income and, and not report it, you might sympathize with them. Uh, but uh, the super wealthy trying to hide away billions of dollars by sheltering them in shell companies and fake companies and uh, Panamian uh, desk drawers, the, the, those uh, people are motivated by the basic instinct that capitalism is instilling in them. So capitalism teaches them that uh, getting your money and keeping your money is the ultimate purpose of uh, your economic activity. And uh, uh, the best people are those who accumulate wealth. Uh, the, the, the stars and, and uh, uh, superstars of uh, the community are those who have accumulated wealth. Um, now, Islam does not teach that. Islam allows you to be super wealthy, does not put any cap on your wealth, but also teaches you to uh, uh, pay your obligations, whether it's the zakah obligation or it's, uh, whether it's family obligations like we, we will talk about in a later episode, inshallah, uh, community obligations, um, and beyond that, going over and above and paying charity in all different causes. Um, but zakah and uh, um, for, uh, certain financial obligations in Islam um, are an order from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, the, the, the fear of Allah in your heart is what motivates you to pay the zakah. Now, beyond that, of course, not all people will be uh, uh, as adherent and devout as you, you'd like. And uh, they might try to, uh, you know, play games with hiding uh, and not reporting their wealth. And uh, in that case, you might uh, try to use some, you know, tools to be able to find out about those who... Uh, uh, are fraudulent on their reporting and so forth. But, you know, uh, it's a human, uh, um, a, hu a human implementation of the godly orders. And uh, is Islamic uh, systems and Islamic states throughout history have always been human uh, uh, attempts at uh, you know, reaching the uh, pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And um, uh, this will uh, forever be the case. Jazakallah khair. And um, where do we see this model applied today? Well, uh, I certainly speak of Islam uh, the way we understand it from the scripture and not the way uh, Muslims currently uh, portray it or um, uh, claim to um, um, implement as Islam. The situation is indeed dire, and most of the problems of the uh, Muslim world are because of the um, implementation of Western 
policies of uh, capitalist ideas uh, in Muslim societies. And of course, the, uh, the intervention of the IMF and the World Bank in um, um, composing those policies and um, really crushing uh, the, the lower classes uh, because of the IMF and World Bank policies. So uh, we're not speaking of an existing model that uh, somehow I can point to as, uh, yeah, let's all be like uh, XYZ uh, country. Uh, no, um, uh, but I am certainly speaking of the Islamic system uh, which was implemented for many centuries. Uh, the Islamic economic system was the only system implemented in the Islamic world for many, many um, uh, centuries. Um, there was no other source of legislation. There was no uh, other um, um, economic thought or any kind of foreign regulation of economic life. Um, and the principles that uh, we will speak of uh, were in implementation, actually, uh, and um, produced stable and wealthy societies. Uh, you can speak of uh, problems with the implementation. You can speak of uh, unjust rulers. You can speak of uh, uh, cruelty and injustice. Uh, with uh, uh, many of the rulers, but uh, you cannot speak of a different uh, framework or uh, a reference than Islam. Uh, th therefore, um, uh, the solutions we seek are not just uh, a nostalgia uh, to bring back historical models. Um, they are uh, what uh, Islam orders us as Muslims uh, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, laid out for us as uh, the, the proper way to live for a Muslim and for a Muslim society. Jazakallah khair, Dr. Abdusalam, and certainly we'll continue the discussion of Islamic economics in the coming weeks and months. Just a reminder to the listeners, you can subscribe to this podcast just by clicking on the subscribe button in your favourite podcast app. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at thinking underscore Muslim and do continue to send me feedback using uh, the email address in the description of this program uh, as well as uh, if you want to follow me uh, on Medium and you can read my Medium articles do go to uh, the Medium page again the link is in the description of this program but for now Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.